The recommendations and opinions presented by our guest speakers may not represent the official position of the American Heart Association. The materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute an endorsement or instruction by the American Heart Association slash American Stroke Association. The American Heart Association slash the American Stroke Association does not endorse any products or devices. Hi, everyone. This is Erica Carbajal with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to this episode. Where we're excited to be joined by Dr. David McSwain. He's the System Chief Medical Informatics Officer for UNC and Dr. Saif Kairat, Associate Professor at the University of Carolina, Chapel Hill. So Dr. McSwain and Dr. Kairat, welcome, welcome. Really happy to have you on today. Thank you, very excited to be here. Before we dive in, do you mind just each sharing a bit about your roles, your organizations to help set the stage a bit for our conversation? Dr. Kairat, can I start with you? Sure. Hi everyone, I'm Saif Kairat, uh, uh, Associate Professor at University of North Carolina. I am also the Principal Investigator of uh, the new NIH-funded Center for Virtual Care Value and Equity, uh, VIVE, uh, that uh, Dr. McSwain and I are part of. I'm formally trained in health informatics on public health and computer science, and that combination has positioned me well to be involved with virtual care for over a decade now, uh, focusing on improving patient health equity and ensuring uh, the value of, of virtual care for uh, organizations. In my role at UNC, I work with investigators and clinicians, patients, and organizations to find ways to bridge the healthcare gap between rural and urban populations by building evidence based for telehealth implementation and solutions. So over the years, I've built this understanding of the unique challenges that face rural communities uh, which has been driving my passion to find ways where we can leverage existing technologies and create new technologies to ensure equitable healthcare access for, for everyone. And so a big part of my job is to conduct and disseminate research on virtual care that helps with identifying telehealth models that are equitable, affordable, and sustainable. Yeah, so uh, I'm Dave McSwain. I'm the System Chief Medical Informatics Officer for UNC Health. I'm uh, also a pediatric critical care physician at UNC Hospitals, and I'm a member of the American Heart Association's expert panel on telehealth. I've been involved in telehealth and virtual care for about the past 15 years, dating back well pre-pandemic. Um, started off in telehealth developing uh, pediatric programs, uh, really started with the development of a pediatric critical care telehealth program for rural uh, community hospitals. And my involvement has really grown since then and has evolved into more of a focus on uh, research in the space and really promoting research uh, across the country to support value and equity and integration of virtual care into standard practice. Uh, in my system chief medical informatics role, I have a broader view of technology and the integration of technology into clinical care and also the integration of different technologies across the spectrum. So uh, whether that's AI or virtual care, electronic health records are really the whole spectrum. I'm excited to get your perspective 
on this topic of, of virtual care, because it's obviously something we've heard so much about over the past few years um, as more and more interest rose amid COVID. But, you know, with your combined 25 plus years of experience, it should make for a really interesting discussion to hear about how trends have really evolved and how you've seen that in your role. So, you know, as, as healthcare organizations have really placed greater emphasis on health equity strategies and social determinants of health, we've also seen rural populations really come into focus in these conversations. So before we dive in and, and talk really about virtual care and telehealth, can you share what makes rural populations unique and what key challenges they're still facing today? Dr. McSwain, can I start with you here? Sure, yeah. Well, you know, I grew up in a very rural area of North Carolina, so I'm familiar with some of the challenges that rural populations face. And uh, really a lot of it is around access. And that's not just access to medical care or access to medical providers, especially medical specialists. It's also issues relating to access to technology and issues relating to travel. You know, when I where I grew up, it was an hour long drive to get to certain specialties if uh, if you needed that kind of specialty medical care. And that could really impact your, both your willingness and your ability to access those services. Uh, and one of the really exciting things about virtual care is that it helps to close that geographic distance. And what we need to focus on is um, not just the potential to do that, but is it really doing that and, and can we prove it? Yeah, a lot around access. Dr. Kairat, anything else you'd add here on, on the key challenges rural populations are facing? Yes, certainly. Uh, so rural populations, they make up about 60 million people in the U.S., that's about 20% of our population. And what makes rural populations very unique is the significantly different demographics of rural populations that's different from urban areas. For example, in, in rural areas, we, we observe higher poverty rates, an aging population, a greater racial and ethnic homogeneity in rural areas. And looking at health outcomes, the gap is also widening between rural and urban areas. So these disparities are alarming and they are continuing to grow. And therefore, it's crucial that we address these disparities head on using unconventional strategies like telehealth and virtual care. And I would add, you know, there's actually a great resource on these disparities that provides a lot of great background information from the American Heart Association released in 2020. It's a presidential advisory called A Call to Action for Rural Health. Uh, there's a longer name to it, but that it, it includes a lot of that data that really helps to frame the considerations. For example, and Dr. Kairat mentioned several of the statistics uh, from that, there's interesting statistics relating to technology access as well. So 63% of rural Americans have home broadband access compared to 75% of urban and 79% of suburban residents. Um, there's also similar gaps for smartphones with 71% of rural residents having smartphones versus 83% for urban and suburban and for home computers where only 69% of rural residents have a, access to a home computer versus 73 for urban and 80% for suburban. And I think it really drives home the, the need for data to address these questions because we get into a lot of theoretical conversations sometimes. We get into a lot of theoretical benefits 
when we talk about technology. And one of the things that was really driven home during the pandemic is that the theoretical benefits don't always play out as you expect in real life. May, you know, the perfect example of that is the equity issues that we saw with virtual care expansion during the pandemic, where while telehealth and virtual care were expected to be a huge benefit to rural residents and, and disadvantaged populations in terms of closing the digital divide and improving health equity, what we actually saw play out was a worsening of that digital divide. And we saw economically disadvantaged residents, for instance, participating less in uh, video visits. The only way that we find that out is through research and through data. And I think that's why it's so important that we have resources like the Center for Vive at UNC. Yeah, I think you both spoke to a really critical theme and, and shift kind of in focus to, in terms of the conversations, shifting from talking about the potential of virtual care and other technologies helping to address some of these disparities to really now furthering the conversation to look at how we actually put it to use. It reminds me of a conversation I had recently with a maternal healthcare equity expert really talking about how we know the metrics are so bad, um, so what can we actually do about it? So in the spirit of that, I think that's that's where our conversation's kind of headed. And obviously telehealth has emerged as a way to really increase rural communities' access to care, which access is a huge issue that you both touched on, but concerns also remain about just how the digital divide has affected widespread adoption of digital health services and how it may even worsen disparities. There's some concerns there. So can you describe how this divide has affected rural areas in particular and how telehealth technology has evolved to address some of these barriers? Dr. Kairat, do you want to start here? Certainly. The, the digital divide is indeed a significant challenge in rural areas. And primarily, what's driving this digital divide is the lack of digital infrastructure in rural regions, which hinders the widespread adoption of telehealth services because patients tend to face challenges accessing the internet or having ownership, like Dr. McSwain just mentioned, ownership of a computer or, or phone smartphone devices that allows them to uh, have video consultations or participate in remote monitoring programs or other telehealth applications. So this digital divide is, is driven by the lack of digital infrastructure coupled with digital literacy. And here, digital literacy is, is more encompassing than just looking at can someone use a device or not, but we need to start thinking about to what extent can individuals use a device in an efficient and effective and safe way. Like Dr. McSwain mentioned earlier, the use of AI and la large language models, which is part of virtual care. To what extent can people use those new emerging technologies in a safe and effective way? And to 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 answer your your question about you know how this may evolve in the future, I think through my work in various parts of the country, I've witnessed firsthand how innovative solutions are addressing the digital divide. For example, telehealth platforms that work on low bandwidth solutions that require low internet speed to transmit data back and forth between the patient and the provider. 
community-based telehealth centers, like local hubs that are equipped with the necessary digital infrastructure, like hotspots and cameras that are placed in community centers or local grocery stores, uh, mobile health uh, applications, mobile health, which allows for medication reminders or uh, health monitoring uh, capabilities that does not require high speed internet. So all of these interventions are making strides. And I think by sharing some, some of these success stories, we can inspire each other to embrace these technologies and ensure that we can, uh, we're, we're being intentional about including these digital divide sensitive telehealth solutions. Yeah, and I um I would I would just add, you know, we've seen through our research and and the research of others that impact of of the digital divide on the adoption of telehealth in a number of ways. One of the things that I think was somewhat surprising during the pandemic is that um the uh, more disadvantaged populations if you just looked at adoption of telehealth as broadly defined, then it was fairly similar. But if you looked at the adoption of video-based telehealth, there was a significant discrepancy where disadvantaged populations uh, were more likely to be using audio-only telehealth as opposed to the telehealth with the video component. And there's a number of reasons for that. The broadband aspect is, is certainly one of them. There's also folks from disadvantaged populations may not have as easy access to a private space and the time to step aside and take some time for a video visit. So they may be compelled to participate in an audio only visit for those reasons. And so we need to kind of keep those things in mind as we're looking at not only how we evolve the technology, but also how we address telehealth and virtual care policy going forward. If we look at limiting audio only, for example, we may be exacerbating the digital divide, even in a well-intentioned effort to improve the quality of the services provided. I think what we've seen in terms of the evolution of telehealth during the pandemic and afterwards is more focus on integration, um, meaning integration with in-person care services, where the folks, the providers that provide those services in person also are providing the telehealth services. That was something that was kind of forced on everyone early in the pandemic, but it has become more the norm since uh, that point. It was not so much the norm before. Um, there's also integration across technologies, uh, particularly with regards to the electronic health record, where telehealth visits are kicked off from within the uh, electronic health record and documented within the electronic health record. That's just the norm now. That wasn't the case prior to the pandemic. Additionally, we're seeing more of that focus on giving patients broader options for how to access um, their care teams. That includes not only video, but audio only options, asynchronous options, patient portals, and those sorts of technologies. And finally, we're really seeing more of a focus on accessibility, particularly as it relates to non-English speaking populations, as well as patients with disabilities who may have had a lot of trouble accessing telehealth technologies and utilizing that in the earlier years of its development. So those are very promising developments. And those are things where we really need to 
um, dig in and get the data to show the impact of these changes that we're seeing. Yeah, thank you both. When you mentioned kind of the, when you both mentioned the infrastructure challenges, I think that's something that can sometimes people hear the word, you know, infrastructure and the challenges and gaps there, and it might stri strike some people still as something that is, is out of reach or out of our control. But I think hearing both of your perspectives on uh, expanding to not just video, but audio only as well, and the community care centers, lower bandwidth options just really speaks to um, the idea that it, it is within control to some extent, and, and there are things that can be done. Next year, I want to talk the, about the workforce. So another challenge with virtual care is, is ensuring that the workforce is trained to provide these telehealth services. So are there any particular solutions or things that you find helpful there? Dr. McSwain, do you want to start here? Sure. Yeah, I think the, the workforce is really a, a critical uh, issue relating to the adoption of telehealth and the adoption of a lot of different technology. I think digital health literacy is key. And that's not just uh, digital health literacy for the workforce, but digital health literacy across populations. And that's certainly an area of focus for the Center for Virtual Care Value and Equity. And it's also a focus for the American Heart Association Center for Telehealth, for which I'm uh, one of the expert panel members. We actually, uh, with the, uh, the Center for Vive and with the previous NIH-funded grant program that I was uh, leading called SPROUT, which stands for Supporting Pediatric Research on Outcomes and Utilization of Telehealth, have been working with the AHA's Center for Telehealth on the development of their evidence-based educational curriculum that is designed to uh, really enhance the training and improve the knowledge base of the workforce around the provision of high-value, integrated, equitable telehealth virtual care services. Uh, additionally, as we develop tools through the Center for Vive, through this work, uh, and we identify uh, evaluation approaches and equitable care models through this research, the AHA Center for Telehealth will serve as a dissemination channel for those resources to help in getting the word out about those best practices. And so we're really excited about working with the American Heart Association on that work. And, and on that continuum, I, I think traditional medical education often lacks adequate telehealth training. And although it's a crucial component of today's healthcare delivery model, I think healthcare professionals, there is a need for them to develop competencies through proper training and possessing the necessary tools and skills to provide quality and equitable telehealth services. One way to do so is to provide gold standard telehealth education that can advance the skills and knowledge of healthcare professionals. Like Dr. McSwain said, the Center for Aviv is partnering with the AHA Center for Telehealth to provide these educational and training opportunities for our workforce to further advance their skills based on evidence and data-driven evidence from telehealth research. And I think Dr. McSwain and, and myself, we're, we are strong believers that through education, collaboration, and innovation, we can empower healthcare professionals to, to really master and grasp the skills 
and knowledge needed to deliver quality and equitable telehealth services. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of opportunities there for clinicians and others to gain that evidence-based training in telehealth. Now, what does it look like to make telehealth truly accessible and equitable in rural communities? And what trends or opportunities do you see on the horizon here? Dr. Kairat? Certainly. Um, I think making telehealth truly accessible and equitable in, in rural communities is multifaceted. It involves addressing the digital divide like we mentioned earlier, ensuring that the healthcare workforce is adequately, adequately trained. And also training the telehealth services to meet the needs of rural populations. As we've learned during the pandemic, it's not a one size fits all. We need to be able to first understand the needs of, the rural, of rural populations and underserved populations when it comes to the use of telehealth and making sure we incorporate specific needs into the design and the de delivery of telehealth, which you know, would encompass cultural and, and contextual factors that are sometimes overlooked uh, when, when using telehealth. And again, to go back to the, you know, the AHA and VIV are collaborating uh, to understand the needs of rural communities by doing research and listening and identifying the facilitators and barriers for rural communities to adopt telehealth, and then later on to offer recommendations on how can telehealth truly empower rural communities to take control of their health and to be more proactive. On the horizon, I see opportunities for more comprehensive approaches in two main directions. One, digital literacy. And again, it's, it's training across the spectrum, providers, administrators, and patients on the best practices and website manners to using telehealth. And number two is continuing to further develop our infrastructure by adding more internet service providers, uh, implementing more hotspots in rural areas to ensure that everyone has a chance to receive high-speed internet. And I also see the potential for telehealth to play a significant role in, in protecting our environment by reducing carbon dioxide uh, emissions and offering direct financial benefits to patients. As we've seen through multiple studies in the literature, telehealth can reduce CO2 emissions by reducing the amount of commute to and, and from clinics and also saving uh, money um, uh, by not having to travel. And also trends like community-driven telehealth initiatives, like we talked about the mobile clinics and leveraging local resources are uh, demonstrating promise and promising results. And so I think we should continue to support these efforts and make sure that they are uh, present in, in every rural community we have. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I would add, you know, the key to addressing these issues is to understand the communities that you're serving. And that means really engaging them and enga engaging uh, the community resources, engaging the people in those communities, getting out into the communities um, and understanding the challenges that they face um, at that basic level. Because really, you don't, you don't understand how to solve a problem until you can really understand it from the perspective of the people who are experiencing it. Uh, and that's where I think UNC Health uh, and the University of North Carolina are very well positioned 
for this work because North Carolina has the second highest rural population in the country. And we have, UNC has healthcare services and facilities from the mountains to the coast all across the state. And so we're able to, we are in those communities. Um, we have the large academic medical center. We also have critical access hospitals. And I think really engaging folks across that spectrum is the key to developing solutions that really have an impact. Yeah, thank you both. I think some really great kind of closing thoughts that really tie the conversation together and, and speaks to where we move forward with virtual care. Before we wrap up, is there anything else we might not have gotten to or anything you think is important for our audience to know? I would just add, you know, this is a team sport. And what I mean by that, as cliched as it may sound, is in order to re really make progress in the area of value and equity, you have to engage researchers, clinicians, patients, families, community resources, policymakers, regulators, and payers, really everyone across the board, because this is a challenge that we really need to address together. And you have to understand the perspective of all of those different stakeholders in, able, uh, in order to be able to do that effectively. So if you're trying to tackle these challenges alone or from the perspective of a single stakeholder, then you're probably gonna hit a lot of barriers. What we've seen in our experience and certainly what we plan to do with the new Center for Vive is to take this on from a multi-stakeholder perspective. And I think um, that's gonna result in a lot of success. It's very well said. And, and to add to that, I you know, we need to think about virtual care not as a replacement for traditional healthcare, but as a valuable complement. What we've learned and we're we're seeing in our research is that virtual care offers a convenience to patients. It provides increased access to specialists, improves chronic disease management, as demonstrated in the, in the literature. And so telehealth, in my opinion, is not just a temporary solution for the pandemic, but I think it's a long-term strategy that can transform healthcare delivery, uh, and especially in rural areas. So I, I, by fostering partnerships, like Dr. McSwain said, and embracing new technologies, I envision a future where telehealth can be integrated into rural communities in an effective and safe way to ensure accessibility and equity for everyone, everywhere. All said, Dr. McSwain, Dr. Kairat, thank you so, so much for being on today and, and sharing thoughts on a really critical discussion as virtual care becomes such a larger part of healthcare delivery. Thank you, it was really a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. And we also just want to thank our podcast sponsor for this episode, the American Heart Association. And listeners, you can tune in to more podcast episodes from Beckers by visiting the podcast page on our website at beckerspodcast.com. Thanks so much.